All right, well, do you all remember last year when we were like, 2020 is going to be awesome, and then 2020 came and it wasn't awesome? Do you remember that? I mean, we had COVID, which, like, we don't even need to go there, and then we had uh racial injustices and broken systems that have always been there that were brought up to the surface again and magnified. We had a contentious election that my brain is still scratching itself about. And on top of all of that, we had murder hornets. And if you don't know what murder hornets are, all you need to know is murder and hornets. Two words that should not go together. 2020 was naughty. And even though it threw us some really big curveballs, there were pockets of good in 2020. You know, none of us take toilet paper for granted anymore. People still got married and babies were born. And in fact, we are eagerly waiting on the arrival of a staff baby at any moment. And I can't wait. And I'm going to be the first in line to hold him. Babies were created. We were given the gift of time when our busy lives were forced to shut down. Miracles and desires of our hearts were fulfilled. And we got to see just how strong we were. 2020, it was something. And you know, just because the calendar flipped over to a new year, it doesn't mean that everything went back to normal. Except maybe the murder hornets. They're probably still in hibernation, so I'll get back to you in a few months. The fact is, 2021 will have its own set of challenges. And I know no matter how well you weathered the storm or how poorly you handled the storm, we all had moments last year where we felt overwhelmed, where we felt like we had hit the max of being physically or emotionally or relationally drained. And for the time that I have with you today, I want to chat about what do you do when you feel like you've run out. And let's look together at a passage in 2 Kings chapter 3. And if you have your Bible with you or if you're at home and you want to uh, flip to the YouVersion app, go ahead. But if you don't, that's okay. I'll use my eyes and read it to you. 2 Kings chapter 3 verse 9 says, So the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom set out. After they had traveled their indirect route for seven days, they had no water for the army or the animals with them. Hmm. How many of you know that if you are in a desert and you run out of water, that's a problem? At any time over the course of the past nine months or so, have any of you felt like you've been in a desert with no water? If you have, would you help me preach this message today? At home, put it in the chat. In the room, tell your neighbor the title of my message is Running Out. I don't hear you. Tell your neighbor the title of my message is Running Out. I trust through the screen it's going nuts in the chat, Running Out. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that when we open it, it becomes alive and true to us. Lord, I, help that I ask that you would help me to deliver this message as you gave it to me. God, let it speak to each of us exactly as we need it. In your name, amen. Well, if you've been around here for any length of time, you know that my husband often tells stories about our kids 
or me, but he doesn't often tell stories about himself. And if you haven't noticed, he's not here today. He's preaching um, at another church. And so I thought it would be berserk if I didn't use this opportunity to tell a story about my husband. So he has lots and lots and lots of great qualities. And probably some of the things that I love about him are the things that you love about him. And you should know this. Pastor Justin likes to push it to the max in every area of his life. And it's not all bad, except when he pushes it to the max with his car. Now, this has been a source of tension in our marriage for years. And if you were to ask him, he would tell you he's a great driver. I would tell you he's a skilled driver. And there is a difference between the two. But probably where he pushes it the most in his car comes to his gas tank. You have to understand, he has a very nice car, and his car will tell him when it needs gas. But for some reason, he thinks that warning light is just a suggestion. And unfortunately for him, he has been stranded on the road, usually somewhere between Iowa and 19th, on more than one occasion, because he pushed it to the max. The first time he ran out of gas, he called me, and it happened to be his birthday, and so I was like, okay, I'll load up all the kids and get you gas, but he gave away our lawnmower, so we didn't even have a gas tank in our garage. It was a whole situation. So we came to an agreement that the second time he ran out of gas, he would just phone a friend. And the moral of the story is, if you ever see a guy in nice shoes on the side of the road that looks like your pastor, it is probably your pastor, and he has probably ran out of gas, and his wife is not coming to help him. You see, I think many of us are like my husband, and we found ourselves pushed to the max, and we've run out. Our capacity to deal with people or family or work or maybe just life in general is maxed out. And when our soul is on empty, that is a dangerous place to be because that's the place where the enemy will do his best work. When we feel like we have run out, the enemy likes to run in. Now, we parachuted into this story in 2 Kings, and I just want to back up a bit so you know what's going on. The king of Moab was supposed to pay the king of Israel this tax through, like, sheep and, and wool. But when the king died, Moab decided to stop paying this. And so the new king of Israel was like, this isn't right, so let's get together and let's go fight Moab until we get back what is owed to us. And so that's where we picked up at. And they set off on this journey and with a few days, they discovered that they ran out of water. So let's look what happens next in verse 10. It says, Then the king of Israel said, Oh no, the Lord has summoned these three kings only to hand them over to Moab. So they run out, and the king of Israel immediately is like, God's trying to kill us. But Jehoshaphat said, Isn't there a prophet of the Lord here? Let's inquire of the Lord through him. So Jehoshaphat is like, Hold on, like slow your roll. Let's not go to the worst-case scenario here. Let's, let's think about this differently. One of the servants of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, the son of, son of Shaphat, who used to pour water on Elijah's hands, is here. Jehoshaphat affirmed, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went to him. However, Elisha said to King Jeram of Israel, What do we have in common? Another translation said, 
why do you involve me? Go to the prophets of your father and your mother. But the king of Israel replied, no, because it is the Lord who has summoned these three kings to hand them over to Moab. Elisha responded, by the life of the Lord of the armies before whom I stand, if I did not have respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah, I wouldn't look at you. I would not take notice of you. I really like Elisha's style. You know, he's just saying what he's thinking. When you find yourself in a place where you have run out, you have to make a choice. And that's my first thought for you today. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. When you are at a place where you are running out, you have to make a choice. You see, the Israelites, they were God's chosen people. So you would think that the king of Israel would be full of faith. But his first response to running out was to go to fear. He immediately went to the worst case scenario. We're all going to die. He was making a choice in that moment. And I don't know about you, but naturally, if left to my own devices, I will go to the worst case scenario. Case in point, I heard murder hornets. We're never going outside again. What you think in your mind will determine what you become. If you feel anxious, it's a result of something you've been thinking about. If you feel fearful, it's a result of thinking about fear. If you feel peace, it's a result of having peace in your life. And did you know you can actually control what you think? Well, how do you do that, Marissa? Easy, I'll tell you. Paul tells us in Philippians. He says, think, fix your thoughts on things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, things that are excellent and praiseworthy. So when a thought comes into your mind, ask yourself, make a choice. Is this true? Is this right? Is this praiseworthy? And if it's not, make a choice to not think that thought. If you are in a place where you are running out, then you've got to make a choice to stop thinking the way that you were and start thinking in a new way. And the problem with most of us is we're too stubborn to check our thoughts and change our thinking. Because we get really comfortable in this cycle of, well, it's always been this way, and it's always going to be this way, and we go to the same extremes that the king of Israel did. We say things like, I'll never get out of this. Oh, this is the end of the road. God's not for me. No one cares about me. My daughter says that all the time. No one cares about me. No, no one cares about your attitude. There is a difference. And if this is the only thing that you hear today from this message, I'm okay with that. You are not obligated to think every thought that comes into your mind. I'll say it again for the people still in bed. You are not obligated to think every thought that comes into your mind. Just because it enters your mind, you don't have to own it in your mind. You don't have to believe every negative thought. You can make a choice. You know, a phrase that became like the it phrase of 2020 was cancel culture, which is ridiculous. But if we're going to cancel anything in 2021, how about we start canceling the lies of the enemy in our life? When you are feeling that you are running out, be very careful of the story you are telling yourself. Here's what I'm convinced of. There's an enemy of our soul 
who roams around with the purpose to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't come to blow up your life. He's much more sneaky than that. All he has to do is just distract you. You see, running out of water, that was a distraction. And when we're distracted, what choices do we make? You know, distractions, they're all around. Ever been to Target? I'm just going in for a container. And on the way to the container aisle, I saw the dollar spot. Well, and then there was the office supplies. <laughs> then there was the clothing. And if I get new clothes, I need new shoes. And two hours and $200 later, I'm leaving with no container and a whole lot of Post-it notes. <laughs> Distractions. They happen. You do it too. You know, you pick up your phone to respond to a text. And an hour later, you're convinced you nailed your TikTok dance. Or you sit down on the couch for just a few minutes and turn on the TV, and three hours later, Netflix is asking, are you still watching? <laughs> Distractions. They happen. But when you are running out, don't let a distraction determine your choices. There's no doubt that running out of water was not a good place to be in, but thankfully, they had someone among them. If you want to make it out of running out, then you've got to make a choice of who or what you're surrounding yourself with. See, the king of Israel made a choice to bring Jehoshaphat with him on the journey. This tells me that they had some kind of relationship. And when crisis came, they were ready to throw up their hands and accept a doomed fate because Jehoshaphat was there because they had surrounded themselves in this circle. He was able to say, hold up. Let's call on a prophet. Let me ask you today. Who's in your circle? Our circles have become significantly smaller in 2020, thanks to physical distancing. And many of us have become lonelier and more isolated than ever. And some of us, we're still in that place today. Now, I am not trying to make light of anything that we have been through. And I'm not trying to downplay what we are currently going through. But I would propose that some of us can't shake the feeling that we're running out because we've let the things that matter most sleep, slip to the place of the least priority in our life. You know, when quarantine started, we had no other choice. And I'm so thankful that we had a church that was able to pivot and not miss a beat. And church still went on. Church attendance grew. Lives were changed. Groups happened. People were engaging. We were giving God our all and our best. And as time has gone on and restrictions have lifted, people have reemerged. I don't know. Should I say it, Pastor Andrew? There's been a change. Now, I know some of you absolutely have to stay safe. It is life and death. And you are staying safe in every area of your life. Some of you, though, you don't have to make that choice. And I wonder, what priority are we giving God in this new year? What choices are we making? 
See, the king of Israel made the choice to surround himself with the right people. He had Jehoshaphat in his corner, and Jehoshaphat could come and say, I know you're feeling overwhelmed, but there's something else we can do, and that's what the right community will do for you. When your faith needle is on empty, someone else's might be on full, and their faith will be the thing that will get you to the breakthrough that you need. That's why community is important. That's why the family of God is important. Jehoshaphat said, we need a prophet. That's how you would hear from God in the Old Testament. And so they went to this prophet named Elisha, and Elisha was like, I don't want to have anything to do with you because the king of Israel, he, he was like 20-20. He was kind of naughty and did some things that were not right in the eyes of the Lord. But once again, because they had made the choice to surround themselves with the right people, Elisha said, I will help you. See, surrounding yourself in the right community will help you move forward. Elisha says, if it were not for King Jehoshaphat, I would not take notice of you. And then in verse 15, he says, now, bring me a musician. While the musician played, the Lord's hand came on Elisha. So the second thing I want to tell you today is when you feel you are running out is you need to guard the atmosphere. Atmosphere is all around us. What's the atmosphere of your life? Do you know the difference between a good atmosphere and a bad atmosphere? You know, traveling with your spouse can be a whole lot of fun. Last year, my spouse took me on a trip to celebrate our anniversary. And he took me to this super swanky and chic hotel. It's the kind of place you'd only go for special occasions, not one that you would check into a work trip and turn your receipts into your boss, you know, that kind of place. This place had atmosphere. When we pulled up, there were staff waiting, and they were like, oh, we've been expecting you. Have a hot towel and a bottle of water. Let me get your luggage. Let me take you to the check-in desk. When we got to our room, they had the, the windows open and the door open so you could see the ocean, and, and there were chocolate-covered strawberries in the room, not just when we checked in, but every night. And when we'd go to the pool, they, the the pool attendants, they'd see us coming and they'd follow us with towels and they'd think, let me set up your chair. Do you need food? Do you need a drink? I'll be here all day. Relax. We want you to enjoy yourself. And then when you'd go to dinner, the turndown service would come and tidy up the room and they'd pull the blinds and they'd pull back the duvet cover. They'd lower the lights, set the music, set the atmosphere. It was amazing. And then there's traveling with your family. And how many of you know, when you have four children, you don't go super swanky and chic. You go to Hotwire and push the best deal and pray that it is decent. And I don't even have to go into atmosphere of that because if you know, you know, right? Every day we have the opportunity to guard the atmosphere around us. And so how do we approach it? Do you wake up thinking, ah, let's just see how the day goes. I'll see how I feel when I get moving or when the kids get up or, or I might drive to work. Maybe some of you predetermined the night before how your day is going to go by looking at your schedule. Or do you wake up and say, no, no matter what today holds, no matter how my kids respond, I'm choosing to walk with joy. I'm choosing peace in my home. Today, the atmosphere around me will be filled with kindness. Now, how do you guard your atmosphere? That's so easy to say, 
but it's not easy to do always, especially if you were not a morning person or if you are a morning person that lives with a bunch of grumpy pants. You know, guarding the atmosphere can be hard. Before Elisha set out to hear from God, he created an atmosphere of worship. He knew he had to turn down the distractions and then really lean in if he was going to hear from God. And an atmosphere of worship is a powerful thing. Now, I know when I say this to some of you, you might be like, I don't really know what that means. And so I want to show you, and I'm going to ask Belinda to help, help me up. She's, she's already up here. I'm going to say something to you, and it's true. It's a confession or a positive affirmation, and it's one that I make over my own life, and I'm going to say it over you. All you have to do is sit and receive it. Here's what I want you to know today. I want you to know that God is for you, that he's not against you. And no matter what you are facing right now, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so you can just stand firm because victory belongs to our God. Now that's a pretty powerful statement, right? It's true and it's good. But let's set the atmosphere a little bit different. Go ahead, Belinda. Set the atmosphere for us with some worship. See, it's already changing. You could feel it. You sense it. Suddenly, we're less distracted. We're tuned in a little differently. And here's what I want you to know today. I want you to know that God is for you. He's not against you. No matter what you are facing right now, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So you can just stand firm because the victory already belongs to our God. You see? Thank you, Belinda. Do you see how the atmosphere changes when we bring worship into it? So what if you were to guard your atmosphere with worship? What if instead of waiting for Sunday to come and we sing three songs, why not create an atmosphere of worship in your home? What if on your commute to work or while you're sitting and waiting on your kids or while you're doing chores around the house, you fill the space with worship? It could be whatever speaks to you. Songs that we sing here on Sunday. Songs that you wish we'd sing here on Sunday. It doesn't matter. It's your worship set. Whatever speaks to you. And so that when, when you're going along and the atmosphere starts getting a little bit off, you can say, no, 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 no. I'm going to bring it back with worship, and you'll see the shift start to change. That's how you guard the atmosphere. And I believe as Christ followers, it is part of our responsibility to guard the atmosphere. It is our job to go into every situation and set the atmosphere. We're called to be set apart, to be light in the darkness. And so when everyone else is complaining, it's our job to say, no, I'm not going to grumble, and I'm not going to complain and join in in the negativity. I'm not going to tear people down. I'm going to look for the good. I'm going to speak life, and I'm going to lift people up. If we join in and do what everyone else is doing, how will others know that there's any difference in your life? How will your life point people to Jesus if there's nothing different about you? Guarding the atmosphere doesn't mean you put your head in the sand and ignore everything that's going on around you. But it means, even in the bad, I'm going to choose good. 
that rather than falling into fear, I'm going to cling to faith. You know, there might be negative going on around me, but there's God's goodness going around me too. When you are at a place where you feel like you are running out, you have got to guard the atmosphere. These men had run out, and Elisha knew that the power of the right atmosphere, and look what happens next in verse 16. Then he said, this is what the Lord says, dig ditch after ditch in this wadi, for the Lord says, you will not see wind or rain, but the Lord, or, but it will be filled with water, and you will drink, and your cattle and your animals. This is easy in the Lord's sight. He will also hand Moab over to you. Then you will attack, attack every fortified city and every choice city. You will cut down every good tree and stop up every spring. You will ruin every good piece of land with stones. So not only do we have to make a choice and guard the atmosphere, but if you want to be in a place where you are not running out, then you've got some work to do and you need to make a move. Here's the deal. The miracles of God are always preceded by direction from God. He's about to do something, but you've got to do something first. And we see it throughout the, throughout the whole Bible. You know, when, G, when the blind man came to Jesus and he put the mud on his eyes, he said, now you go wash it off. Before Lazarus came out of the grave, they had to roll away the stone. Before the widow could have her jars filled with oil, she had to go gather the jars. There is work to do before miracles happen. And that's what, and you know, I think what we often want is God to be like, like our genie in a bottle, you know, where we go, hey, God, and God goes, poof, miracle, you know. We want the miracle, but we're unwilling to do any of the work. We say things like, God, please restore this relationship. And God says, okay, I can do that, but you need to forgive them. And we're like, hold up. You want me to forgive them? Or God says, or you say, God, I need a financial breakthrough. And God says, okay, I want you to begin tithing. And if you give, I'll give back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And we're like, actually, God, I don't know that I really want to be generous. There is always a move for us to make. He said, go dig some ditches. But then he also said, you won't see wind and you won't see rain. So you know what that meant? These kings had to convince their army that they needed to dig ditches when there was no evidence that water was coming. When God gives you an instruction, you have got to stay faithful to what he has said to you, even if you can't see it with your natural eyes. You've got to keep believing for your marriage, even if you don't see it turning yet. You've got to keep praying for healing, even when doctor report after doctor report isn't showing healing. You've got to keep trusting God for the miracle, even if it hasn't happened yet. You keep digging, and you might not see rain, and you might not feel wind, but I promise you, if God said it will come to pass, it will come to pass. Because look what happens in verse 20. About the time for the grain offering, the next morning, water suddenly came from the direction of Edom and filled the land. It was filled with water. God does not have a supply problem. He has more than enough supply for our need. The question is, do you have the capacity to hold the amount he's wanting to send you? 
You see, I think when you feel like you are running out, it's not that you're actually empty, but it's a signal that you need to run out ahead and increase your capacity. See, God didn't ask them to do the impossible or even something hard. He just said, dig some ditches. Fill the ditches. The amount of water that they received was based on the capacity, and the capacity was determined by how many ditches they were willing to dig. They kept moving forward, increasing their capacity, even without any evidence that anything was happening. So as we sit at the start of this new year, are you going to run out into it? Or are you going to stay stuck in a cycle of feeling like you are running out? Or are you going to start digging? Are you going to dig more ditches? Are you going to dig more than you have ever dug before so that the God of more than enough can fill you like never before? That is my prayer for you today. And if this message has helped you, will you tell your neighbor, I'm digging? Will you put it in the chat, I'm digging? I want us to pray today. I'm going to ask that here in the room we would... um, just, just bow our heads and, and close our eyes. And if you're at home, you can do this too. No matter where you are joining us today, I think some of us, we feel like we're on empty. And the reason we can't seem to get filled up is because we've never encountered the one who can fill you up. And that's Jesus. And I want to give you the opportunity right now to respond to the gift of his grace. A grace that is forgiveness of sin, eternity in heaven, and walking with you now. See, the Bible says that the way we do it is to confess our sins with our mouth, or excuse me, to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, and we will be saved. And in just a moment, we're going to pray together as a church, if you're listening and you say, I feel like I'm far from God and, my, and I need to make that decision, then I want to invite you to say this simple prayer with me.